Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. The 29th James River Short Film Showcase returns January 11th and 12th at the VMFA. The same program is on both nights, and tickets are good for both shows. Tickets are only $5, and I'll have a link on the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com. I transferred a bunch of stuff for a guy in Minneapolis, and he had some news film from 1970, I think, and they're interviewing a kid outside of an elementary school. That was Guy Spiller talking about the star as a boy he discovered in some 70s videotape he converted. You'll have to keep listening to find out who that star was. Before he started Analog Retentive, where he converts videos, he created BES Teleproductions in the 70s, now BES Studios. It's the longest continually running video production facility in Virginia. Guy talks about his inspiration for starting the company and how it grew and changed. Plus, there'll be a surprise drop-in from one of Richmond's longest-running advertising execs. Sifter Review of the Week Good Grief on Netflix. Dan Levy is best known for creating the fabulous comedy Schitt's Creek, but his first writing-directing-starring film substitutes drama for comedy. He plays an artist who loses his husband, Luke Evans, in an accident. After more bad news, he takes his besties, Ruth Negga and Hamish Patel, to Paris for closure and solace. This film is all about Levy. His script is rather mundane and predictable, with numerous long philosophical monologues, mostly for himself. Despite lots of characters' words saying so, his direction lacks much emotion. Actually, Negga is the only one to create much of a personality, and she sometimes seems to be trying too hard. Earnestness is the byword here, and while a few comic touches might have made it more palatable, the final result remains an exercise in dramatic self-indulgent. I gave Good Grief one and a half out of five stars. Guy Spiller, do you remember the first time we did a job together? Uh, Oh boy, this is tough. Single Bullet Theory. Yeah, okay. I I was going to say that might be it. We did Keep It Tight, which was at the... That's at the right. Capitol Hotel. And I remember you lugged a giant one-inch deck around on a cart to record it. Yeah, that's right. It was a pretty popular video, though. Yeah, it was fun. That. It was wasn't a lot of fun. Wasn't that one of the first things on MTV? It was Single Bullet Theory's first, but it was on in the early days yeah. of the 80s, back when it was still a happening thing. So, obviously, you've been in the biz forever. What was your inspiration for cameras and video gear and all this stuff? That's probably the, the strangest part of the story. I've been in... TV, around TV my whole life. My dad was in TV. He was hired to come to Virginia in 64 to build uh, Channel 23. Okay, okay. PBS station, but I wasn't PBS back then. But right, right. Before that, we lived in Louisiana, and he was the chief engineer of the ABC station down there, and he built, he built a remote truck for them. I was 13, and they did a church service on Sunday morning. Right. And uh, they got me to run camera. So I thought, oh, I thought this is where it's at. This is big time showbiz here. I was really into that. And then they started doing Friday night high school football. Right. And I was on camera for that. But I was an awful cameraman. Just awful (laughs) because I don't know anything about football. Nothing. Still don't. Don't care. I don't either. Right. So, you know, they say, shoot the the quarterback. I have no clue who that is. <laughs> so my career as a camera guy kind of fizzled at that point. So they, they put me on to running audio, which I liked. And then later on, I was I got fascinated with uh, doing video. And about that time, we ended up moving up here. And I worked at Channel 23, and we did uh, all those instructional programs with the teachers and stuff. We didn't have any way to edit anything. So all those instructional shows were done essentially 
what they call now live to tape. We'd go through the whole show. If they if they screwed it up really, really bad, we'd have to start over. Right. So it was good incentive to kind of get your ducks in a row. Make so it that perfect, was, yeah. And then what inspired you to start your own facility? Well, <laughs> you maniac, you crazy man. <laughs> right. Oh, this is this is the dumbest thing. My dad and I kind of got into this little side business of buying and selling videotape recorders. And he had a connection at CBS where they would retire their older uh, videotape machines, which and these things are 1,600 pound, two inch quadruplex. You know, these are big, big machines. Giant machines. And we would get them. I'd pick them up and bring them to the house and check them out and get them to work. And then sometimes deliver them to little stations in West Virginia. They might need a second tape machine or sometimes a first. And you still got some of those big Well, I do. I do. But, well, the whole excuse for for starting uh, BES and the production company was I wanted some way to rationalize keeping one. Oh, okay. Because these are not cheap. How much were they at the time? Do you remember? Of course, we're talking Uh, uh, 70s. This was, uh, you know, 69 or so. Uh, the machine could run anywhere from eighty to a hundred grand. Right, right. Uh, a particularly nice one came through, and I said, "I gotta, I gotta keep this. I gotta keep it some way." So I had this idea, and this is like 1971. So okay, what nobody is doing, you know, those local stations, and they're doing commercials and whatnot. But if a if a client wants a commercial done at their location. Uh, it either had to be film, which was expensive and nobody wanted to do that, or they, they had to do it in the studio. And I'm thinking, what if I got a couple of cameras somehow and put them in a little truck of some sort and put my tape machine in there? I could go around and shoot local commercials. So where did the BES, what does BES stand for? I have no creative bones in my body whatsoever. Our little videotape buying and selling thing, we called it Broadcast Engineering Services. Uh-huh. When it came time to put something on the side of my TV truck, I said, well, let's just take the letters and we'll call it that. <laughs> so uh-huh. okay. it became BES Teleproductions. There you go. So, and now yeah, it's called uh, BES Studios. Surprise guest drop-in. Speaking of shooting those crazy commercials back in the day, somebody <laughs> wanted to drop in and say, hey, I remember those days. Really? I see Mr. Doug Burford, perhaps? Oh, my God. I was going to be talking about Mr. Burford here before long. Footnote. Doug Burford has headed up Burford Advertising for more than 50 years, and they're known for creative campaigns with fun personalities. And thanks to his wife, Nancy, for setting up the call. Hey, Guy, how are you doing? I'm, I'm hanging in there. This is, what a surprise. This is like, this yeah. is your life. Yeah, he was actually talking about the old days of shooting all those commercials all over the place. And I know you did a lot of work with him. Doug Burford kind of changed the direction of the whole operation. Because when we, when we started working with Doug, the quality of the productions, well, I mean, the, the creativity and the writing, I mean, that's really, a, that's most of it to me. All of a sudden, you're going from the cheap, typical car spots to... The really cool, creative Van Divers furniture and Haynes furniture and stuff that Doug did, it helped elevate our um, our image. Doug, really. how does that make you feel to know he called your stuff cool and classy? <laughs> well, he's always been right about everything. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, so what are some of your memories, Doug, of back in those days? We needed a professional talent for S&K, and we couldn't find anybody to do it. So Guy hired a mannequin to do their commercials. 
Well, Rip Charbonnet oh, ended up doing that at some point, right? Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, we turned Van Divers into the ugly yellow building. I don't know if you remember was, that. I do. Sure. That was classic and, stuff. Well, I found out that the owner had a dumb son. <laughs> he was a store buyer, and he consistently sold furniture for way below the normal markup. Half the normal markup, if I could believe correctly. Right. And the owner <laughs> ended up making a million dollars. Wow. <laughs> and then the guy hired a Black Panther to sell furniture <laughs> for Haynes. And uh, it, was an, yeah, it was a real Panther now. this We're not talking about a fake Panther. No. Cat. The guy never bothered to tell anybody, but he was eating a hostess Twinkie in front of a hungry Panther. Oh, and wow. it sort of cut the, the, the session real short. Uh, so did you ever get the commercial made with the Black Panther? Oh, yeah, of course we did. But <laughs> And I would say the guy is the only man alive who always consistently went beyond. Oh, and We've done probably, I guess, two or three hundred commercials with you, Guy. Wow. Oh, yeah, I would, yeah. I would say so. There you that was go. the great thing about Doug. He was not into a lot of fancy post-production and stuff. Most of them were one one shot, but the, the creative stuff and the writing is what really made it, and not the electronic doodads and everything. Yeah, I wonder that could who happen. wrote all that stuff, guy. I, I have died. <laughs> some, some guy. I don't know, man. I don't know who he was. He, <laughs> he, sure, he sure knew what he was doing. I, I do know yeah. that. Yeah. What, guy, that's terrific. I still love you no matter what. <laughs> I got to come down and see you guys. It's been a okay. long time. Times that I've yeah, been down come there. by. All right, go. You can go back to. You can get wake up now, guy. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm awake. I'm awake. All right, all right, Doug. By the way, Bye-bye. Doug Barry Fitzgerald says hello from Florida. Really? He actually told me to ask about the time when you had to dress up as the Kelly's Dragon, but that was pre-BES. Oh, I got arrested for being the Kelly's Dragon, <laughs> and I was thumbing, and a state trooper pulled up and told me and tried to arrest me because you were in the costume. I was in the costume and I would blow smoke out of my costume and he couldn't figure out how to get the handcuffs on me and I blew smoke in his face. And that was uh, the end of that. Crazy. Well, Doug, thanks again for dropping in. Okay. Be good now. See you, Doug. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Jerry. He See was, you later. Bye, Nancy. Totally surprised. Bye, guys. Guy. See you later. <laughs> what a great couple. So before we go back to production, you were also involved in FM 106. What was the story behind that? I, I got, I just have a thing about radio. I love the medium. I actually like the medium better than TV. It's it's a more personal medium to me. Right. But I got a little taste of it in the mid-60s. And Sam Strauss, I don't know if you remember him. I do remember he, Sam. He was the engineer. He hired me to come over and sign on this little daytime station he was the chief engineer for. And I just, I just loved it. There was something about it. It was really cool. I dabbled with it a little bit more in the 70s, but I had this first-class license that enabled me to operate the transmitter without having an engineer, and they love that because they're going to have one person there. So I had this in the back of my mind, and in the 80s, late 80s, I decided I would love to own a radio station, and then I hear that 106 was for sale. This is in 91. And what was their format? It was oldies at the time, but it originally was WRFK, which was the PBS or the NPR, whatever they call it, right. just for fun, because I've had a little history with the station. I used to do a jazz show with Jeff Kellum on 106.5 back in the 70s. <laughs> so I had a little connection to it. I just out of curiosity, I contacted the broker 
He says, well, the asking price is $10 million. Uh, you know, I kind of chuckled. I laughed at that. So I said, well, I'm, you know, this is nothing. I'm way out of that league. You know, forget that. Um, he said, well, just, you know, throw out a number. And I said, uh, you know, probably $3 million. And he said, I'll get back to you. And I'm like, whoa. whoa. I'm, in like, I'm in like panic mode. I said, right. what? Now you've what, committed. What am I going to do? Where am I going to right. get $3 million? I ended up contacting some people who had had a, a tentative offer to buy it and then backed out. And they were up in Baltimore. So I called the guy who, incidentally, I had bought a car from, huh. um, a collector car, the previous year. So I called him and said, hey, uh, are you the guy I bought that car? He said, yeah. He said, uh, did you uh, look at buying 106 down here? And he said, yeah, we did. But we, we kind of got scared off because of the potential other format coming in. I don't remember what it was. I said, uh, well, maybe we could come up with some kind of partnership. So we met at Aunt Sarah's Pancake House in Fredericksburg, which was about halfway in between. And we talked about it. And, and uh, my buddy, John Crowley from XL102, he was a sales guy. And we all went up there and told him what we wanted to do with it. And he said, yeah, well, I think we can come up with some kind of partnership. And that's that's how it happened. So moving back to BES, of course, it is, yeah. I believe, the longest continuous production facility in Richmond and probably in Virginia. Uh, I think there's probably a good, good chance of that. So how did you find your original studio? In my little truck, I had two cameras and a tape machine. But I needed a place to park the truck. I built it in my backyard. And I kept it there. So I rented this little space over there near Cloverleaf Mall. On Atmore so, Road, as I remember. On Atmore Road. That's there right. That's right. It was like a, it was an office warehouse. It was one, one little office and a warehouse that's like 40 by 40. I said, well, you know what? When the truck is here and I'm not out shooting commercials, maybe I could shoot commercials in the studio here. I could make this a studio. So I bought some used lights and stuff from a station in Cleveland that went off the air. And a, and a second tape machine. And this very microphone I'm talking on right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> Coincidentally. So I made a little studio. I built a psych wall and hung the lights and all this kind of stuff. Very low budget. We ended up doing more stuff in the studio than on location. And then I was told that, you know, if I had one more camera in my truck, I could do some basketball games. Oh, and Lord. There's a, a big market for that because there were not many TV trucks back in uh, 73, 74. I bought a, another used camera from the studio in New York that produced Sesame Street originally. Uh-huh. So I started doing some of that. I guess you probably cared as much about basketball as you did about football. Exactly the same. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I've done hundreds of them, and I don't know what the rules are. But and, you weren't know, running the, the camera, luckily, anymore. You oh, just... no. Thank goodness. No, I was just fixing all the equipment and running video. But, I mean, I'm on the road. I'm driving. The, it's a tractor trailer, so I had to get a license for that. So I'm driving the thing. I'm setting it up. I'm running video, and I'm taking cameras back into hotel rooms on the road and working on them. And I said, this is, this, this is fun and all, but this is... I can't do this forever. I can't do this. So the commercial thing at the studio was starting to pick up more and more. I said, and I got approached about somebody wanting to buy my truck. So I sold it to, uh, actually, it was the Texas Rangers baseball team in Texas. Oh, wow. I don't know whatever happened to it. So now it's all studio all the time. And as time went on, I mean, the, the place became kind of a magnet for people who are really, really good. Mm -hmm. They were really good at what they did. They were really good at lighting or camera or audio and it just became a very creative place and we had we had 17 people at one time there. wow 
So when did you sell BES and why? It was in October of 93. And I got approached by a guy who wanted to buy it or a, a broker. It was a broker. And he said, we have a guy who was interested in buying it. And, you know, we talked and talked and you know, finally just ended up making a deal. And, and that's what happened. And yeah. you're not just sitting around, though. I know that you're technically retired, but you don't just sit around. you got all kind of equipment in your house. It's almost like a museum of broadcast equipment. Well, I started that because, you know, I was out of when I sold BES, I would, it was in 93 and I was out of TV, basically. So I didn't really know what was going on. I lost contact with all the people in the business. So I went into like, you know, Rip Van Winkle mode right. until uh, about 2000, 2001. And Charlie Riley actually got me back into it. Footnote. Charlie Riley has been a prominent videographer in Richmond since starting at BES in 1979. It was the stuff you were doing. I think you were directing these things. Oh, yeah, yeah. For the, for the state, yeah. Yeah, state. Yeah, for the state kind of stuff, yeah. Charlie said, you want to come in and do video on these things? I said, well, I don't know. Let me think about it a little bit. So I ended up doing it, and it was, it was fun. It was kind of fun. And then I started doing ESPN basketball game. So anyway, I, I did it, and it went, it went pretty well. So I ended up doing 20 years of freelance uh, video camera shading for the sports networks. I worked for all the sports networks. I did hundreds of games, football, basketball, soccer, and lacrosse and everything all over the place. Why don't you explain for our listeners what camera shading means? It's kind of a lost art because now everything is done with one camera and there's really no matching cameras and stuff. This is something they haven't been able to do with computers yet. If you have two cameras and you're shooting something in real time and you switch back and forth between them, you want them to look the same. You want the exactly. colors to be the same. Right. Well, that's not an exact science. They just can't do it <laughs> without human intervention. So you'll have you know five cameras, eight cameras, all this stuff. And you've got all controls for all of them, and you match them, you know, so they look nice, pretty. Right. And, and I love that. I mean, I get great satisfaction out of that. I know one of the things you do a lot now is converting stuff either from old formats. Uh, I know that the Sailor Bob show was one of your first ones. Was that correct? Well, I was one of the first. So I wanted to have some of the equipment I used to work with at my house to play with, just a, as a kind of a hobby. I was going to set up a one-inch edit suite because people were, at this point, giving these things away. Yeah. I gave you my beta machine. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it was, it was all I could pick up. So, I don't know, word got out that I had a working one-inch machine. Footnote. A one-inch machine is a high-end video recording deck, and the videotape was actually one inch wide. So, the, I got calls about, well, can you transfer this tape? Yeah, I guess I could do that. And it, it just kind of snowballed. And I'm having, a, I'm having a blast doing that. And the name of your company, I love it, is... <laughs> Analog Retentive. Analog Retentive, yes. Where, where did that name come from? I'm sure you laughed when you thought that up. I was driving somewhere. I don't remember where. I think I was driving to a basketball game or something, and it, it just came out of the blue. It's like, whoa, that's perfect. Yeah, it is. So that's where it came from. It kind of hit me. Did you have any cool discoveries or surprises when you were converting something? Oh, gosh. Well, the latest thing, I don't even think you know about this, and this was purely by accident. I transferred a bunch of stuff for a guy in Minneapolis, and he had some news film from a local uh, a CBS O&O station there, actually, uh, from 1970, I think, of a teacher strike. Uh, they were getting ready to have another teacher strike here a couple years ago, and they had right. some footage, but they didn't have any way to play it. And they get it back, and they're looking at it, try, trying to edit something for their story. And they see this little kid. They're interviewing a kid outside of an elementary school while the teachers are on strike. And it turns out it's Prince. 
Oh, wow. I don't know if you may have heard about this. made CBS Nightly News or no, whatever I didn't it is. Oh. This was the recently discovered footage of Prince as a kid. Wow. And it's all over the world. It's on YouTube and everything. So it's a big deal. So that, that's kind of fun. That was, I transferred that, that film cool. right in my basement. I remember you told me one time that you had gotten a call from Comedy Central because they wanted an old camera. Back oh. in the old days when cameras had that, <laughs> that's right. what do you call it, had the smear. When, when there yeah. was a bright light, they would smear. <laughs> and they wanted that specifically. What was that about? Yep. They did. Yeah, I got a call from a guy, a director. He was probably in his 20s or something in New York. He worked at Comedy Central. He said, I hope you can help me. I've been trying to find, I'm shooting a series of Christmas promos, and I'm, I'm looking for a vintage 70s look. Right. But he said, there's nobody in New York that has one. Wow. Yeah, so I get it up there, and he says, well, now it looks it looks almost too good. <laughs> oh, wow. I said, well, I can, I can, I can tell you it's going to hurt me, but I can, I can fix that. So I went in with my little screwdriver and did a couple of things to it. And I said, oh yeah, that's it. That's exactly what we want. Did you ever get to see the finished spots? Yeah, they sent me, they sent me a copy on DVD. Yeah, it's funny. Are there any other cool memories from these restorations that you've had other than Prince? It's kind of hard to beat Prince, but. Uh... Well, it is, it is. I had a guy call me one day. It was almost Christmas time. He said, my wife used to host Romper Room on the local oh, station here in wow. Kentucky. I found a videotape in the attic of one of her shows. So he sent it to me. I was able to play it. And he was the happiest guy on the planet. Wow, you know, wow. he was great. Stuff like that. A lot. I get a lot of stuff like that. Now, just, just to clarify, in case a listener says, oh, I've got my VHS tapes. You don't do that kind. Of, you only do the professional I, one inch, yeah, two inch. Well, I mean, I can right? do I can do this VHS, but that's not really what I do. So one question I always like to ask everybody is when you're not down in your uh, museum of broadcasting, working on transfers, what do you like to watch on TV? You know, I don't watch TV. Oh, OK. Well, that's a short answer. I watch a lot of YouTube videos, particularly when I'm going to do something that I don't know how to do or need a refresher on like, you know, you know car stuff. I work on old right. cars and things. I have right. a collection of old cars. You can find how to do almost anything on YouTube. You get in a rabbit hole once you get started on YouTube. Too. Oh, I know. The thing about the, the way TV production has gotten, uh, I guess, democratized is that now you have people who created. What am I hearing back there? Probably clicking. Yeah, that's my that's my dog walking in the kitchen. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just... Anyway, back in the old days, you had to have. I mean, to do TV production, you had to have. It was a quite a capital investment, right? But now you you can, you can buy a GoPro camera for you know next to nothing, and if you're really or a telephone and, or a telephone, right? I mean, I see I see incredibly creative stuff on YouTube yeah. that people do with with no hardware essentially. That's just great because the the variety of stuff that you can see and the amount of talent out there is is really staggering. Yeah, yeah. I really yeah. enjoy that. I can appreciate that. Well, Guy, it's been great to talk to you. It's great to go back to those days and talk about all the <laughs> crazy memories from that time. And uh, who knows, you'll be doing it another 20 years. You never know. You never know. So far, so good. Well, I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much. Anytime. That was Guy Spiller, who created BES Teleproductions, now BES Studios. It's the longest continually running video production facility in Virginia. He sold it in 1995, but continued to have video adventures with his new company, Analog Retentive. I'll have links to these and more on the webpage for this show at TV Jerry. Coming soon. In theaters. Mean Girls. This is an adaptation of the 2018 Broadway musical written by Tina Fey. It was based on the original 2004 movie. The Beekeeper. Jason Statham is back with his latest vengeance action. The Book of Clarence. 
Lakeith Stanfield stars as a man in debt who becomes captivated by the Messiah in this modern take on the biblical story. Memory. Jessica Chastain plays a woman who's followed home from her high school reunion by a former classmate, Peter Sarsgaard, who may have molested her back then. TV and streaming. The 75th Primetime Emmy Awards air January 15th on Fox, while the 29th Critics' Choice Awards air the day before on The CW. Monsieur Spade on AMC. Clive Owen plays Detective Sam Spade, who's 60 years old and living in the south of France in 1963. True Detective on Max. This is the fourth season of the series, starring Jodie Foster and set in cold Alaska. Legacy List with Matt Paxton on PBS. The sixth season starts on VPM on the 15th, and I'll include a link to my podcast with Matt on this week's webpage. Lift on Netflix. A thief and her ex team up to steal $100 million in gold on the flight of a 777. Roleplay on Amazon. Kaylee Cuoco and David Oyelowo play a married couple, but in a twist that will surprise no one, she's also a secret assassin. Death and Other Details on Hulu. A detective, Mandy Patinkin, tries to solve a murder while sailing in the Mediterranean on an ocean liner. That's it for this week. Next week, I'll be featuring a film from the Israeli and Jewish Film Festival. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.